The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, continuing a reflection on supports for practice in our daily lives. We've been talking a lot about bringing mindfulness and just that um, noticing what's happening in the present moment. Often when we do notice what's happening in the present moment, we, our tendency, let's say, often is to orient to what's challenging or difficult. Um, that's a human tendency, you know, to notice what feels wrong, what feels off. And that's useful, and that's one of the main explorations the Buddha discovered in his own journey, that becoming mindful of suffering, becoming mindful of how the mind is constricted and contracted, with this curiosity, not, an, not a kind of an involvement in, not a, a sinking into that suffering, but... Uh, just like, oh, what is this? You know, learning with it, learning with with the uh, the challenges and the struggles, because the mindfulness with this curiosity and interest begins to help the mind to reorient, help it to let go of what is generating, kind of conditioning that stress, that suffering. So it's really a useful, useful exploration. And yet this presence of mind, this curiosity, this mindfulness also can reveal and support the cultivation of beautiful qualities, wholesome qualities. And there are a number of um, lists in the Buddhist teaching of wholesome qualities that are worthy of recognizing, of cultivating. One of those lists is called the paramis. It's uh, the, the English word for parami means something like perfection. And this list of 10 qualities is said to be the qualities that let's say the mythology of 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 this uh of these qualities is said to be that these are the qualities that the the bodhisattva the the being that became the buddha cultivated over many many lifetimes not 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 a single being but just the kind of the trajectory of of um a stream of a mind arising and passing over over many lifetimes. Um, this The Buddha, the, the Bodhisattva, is said to have cultivated these qualities. And they are understood in, in um, many Buddhist countries to be the qualities that are supportive of our daily life practice. So these qualities, I'm just going to name them right now. 
They are uh, giving, ethics or non-harming conduct, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, resolve, loving kindness. Oh, I forgot one. After patience is truthfulness. So patience, truthfulness, resolve, loving kindness, and equanimity. So these are qualities that that you can look at them in, in, in two different ways. They're, they're qualities that are the natural result of the release of greed, aversion, and delusion. And they are qualities that support, as they're cultivated, as they're actively cultivated, they support the release of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so they both describe what the kind of like uh, I've heard some teachers describe the paramis as a kind of a uh, an emotional map of what the human heart is like without greed aversion and delusion these qualities kind of naturally begin to shine forth begin to be present in our in our being and they can be actively cultivated through practices, through um, mindfulness of them when they're present, when they're absent. And in that cultivation, that very cultivation of these qualities supports our mind to let go of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so it's a, it's a very a mutually supportive thing as we cultivate these qualities that supports the release of greed, aversion, and delusion. And as greed, aversion, and delusion release, there's more natural arising of these qualities. It was a beautiful uh, kind of positive feedback loop, we could call it. So I don't have time to talk about each of these in depth, but I want to just say a little bit about them and a little bit about the list itself. Um, as, as with many lists in, in Buddhist teaching, and I'm not, I don't know that this list actually exists in the suttas. The qualities are all described in the suttas. But as a list, uh, as far as I know, this is not a list that the Buddha taught. But it is a, uh, a list that is found in, um, in the commentaries. And it kind of collects a whole bunch of qualities together in a, in a very nice <clears throat> in a very nice teaching arc, in a way. Um, the, um, the arc is uh, starting from, you know, just where we, where we often begin. And the Buddha did often begin in his teachings, particularly to lay people, with the teachings on dana, on giving, and on sila, on ethical conduct, on non-harming conduct. And so these, these two are a, a kind of a way in to um, looking at how we're engaging in, in, in our lives. They're very relational. They're very much rooted in our daily lives. 
these two qualities of dana and sila of giving the uh, the action of offering support to others some some not not always uh, financial but time by with attention giving giving of ourselves to support others and to be curious about when that giving the the encouragement is to um, notice when that giving is motivated by compassion kindness love and care and when it's motivated by wanting to get something back so that there's a lot of teachings on generosity and on giving that ask us to look at our motivation for giving and the more we see the feeling and, and all of this all of these teachings are we're encouraged to be mindful to be aware so the cultivation of all these qualities also supports the cultivation of mindfulness because the the whole practice around being um, curious about the cultivation of these paramis begins to show us that when we like for instance in generosity if we're giving with some expectation or desire for getting something back that that there's a little bit of constriction in that um, that feeling of giving in that feeling of, of the heart while we're giving and if it is given in, if we're offering things in a, in a truly um, uh, non-unconditional um, non way, that we're not expecting anything in return, the heart feels very different. And the feeling of that quality, the feeling of the heart when we are giving without expectation of getting something in return, that itself is a great gift for us. The feeling of that is so nourishing. It actually gives us something right in the moment. It is said that uh, the quality of generosity, when we, when we give skillfully, it makes us delighted and happy before we give, while we're giving, and after we give. And so we, we uh, experience those benefits. If we're giving with uh, expectation of return, there's going to be some, um, you know, after we give, there may not be the delight because we haven't gotten something back that we wanted back. So we see the difference. We begin to see the difference. And so this, these paramis um, kind of are on an arc, uh, kind of to start from relational um, in the world, everyday actions and things that we do, uh, orienting to giving, orienting to, and, and actually many of our, many of our, um, you know, everyday transactions can be kind of understood in, in, in this way. I mean, even just like meeting a cashier at the grocery store, do you take the opportunity to actually make eye contact, connect, and smile? I mean, it, it can be that simple to give the gift of connection in a moment with an open heart. So the you know the, this this the we often I think in the West think of giving and generosity as being purely financial, but it is way more than that in our in our Buddhist. Um, uh, exploration of the quality and then the next quality of non-harming conduct 
and this this demonstrates i think a way of um uh how these qualities kind of connect to each other and support each other and feedback on each other because it's said that with each of these qualities it both um as we cultivate one of the qualities like in this case generosity it begins to kind of inspire us or move us towards the cultivation of the next quality in this case uh, non-harming conduct and it is also said that the cultivation of the, the the next quality in the list feeds back and perfects maybe another reason for the name for the list of the perfections the paramis the next quality as we cultivate that it begins to perfect the prior quality it actually enhances or deepens the uh, um, the development of the prior quality and so generosity giving it connects us to other people it creates a, a, a web of relationship and care with our fellow human beings when we give that's one of the results of giving is, is it that connection that sense of related of relatedness it actually is said in in one place um, that if you have somebody that you're really having difficulty with a really good thing to do is to think of something to give them do something do something for them give them a gift that will help to shift your relationship to them make it feel like there's more of a connection more care more more of a sense of a we-ness with the relationship rather than just a me and you an us and them and so that relatedness in that's cultivated with giving begins to create this sense of a we of of a of a web of relationship and in that connection of a web of relationship there's more of a a sense of heart that doesn't want to harm people in the web of relationships and so this moves us in the direction of um, not wanting to do things that would harm others so that quality of generosity supports that movement towards non-harming in in conduct or sila ethical conduct and in turn that 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 cultivation of ethical conduct uh, non-harming to not um, not engage in um, killing living beings not engage in taking what's not offered to uh, not engage with false speech harsh speech to not engage with sexual um, misconduct using our sexuality in ways that would cause harm and to not engage in intoxication of body and mind which the teaching around that one is not that that directly causes harm to others but that it puts it creates the conditions where our um, our mind is not so clear <laughs> and that we may have a tendency to cause harm when we are intoxicated and so that that's more the reason for that last one not that it directly causes harm it more causes harm internally to reduce the clarity of our of our minds and so the um, the engagement with those non-harming actions is said to be one of the greatest gifts that we can give to each other that we give the gift of fearlessness 
to any being in our presence that they don't need to fear our um, our presence. And so that's a way in which the cultivation of ethics then supports or perfects the um, the parami of giving. We give a we give the gift of fearlessness to others, and we give the gift of a blamelessness to ourselves. So that that principle of each parami both kind of leading towards cultivating the next and then reinforcing or supporting the prior one. That goes on with all of these all the way through. And I don't have time to go through that in that detail with all of these, um, but I'll just kind of speak a little bit about each one and then talk more generally about how we work with paramis in general. There's specific things with each one, but there's some more general things that I want to to uh, to explore and to talk a little bit about how I've explored these. So after uh, ethical conduct is renunciation, which is um, looking at uh, letting go of the things that we, you know, that the, the encouragement is to let go of the holding to, the craving around sense pleasure. Now this is, this is counterintuitive in terms of thinking about our own well-being, but the, the teaching here around renunciation is that we typically engage with wanting things um, with sense pleasure through the um, mind states of greed and aversion and delusion. And so the renunciation of those is what helps us to see the greed, the aversion, and the delusion, essentially, as we let go of, you know, the, the movement to, to follow through on our movement to sense pleasures. We renounce that. We start to see the greed, the aversion, and the delusion. And, and we can feel how greed, aversion, and the delusion themselves are not helpful. And so this begins to... Um, to cultivate the next quality, which is wisdom. Because we see through this renunciation, we see how greed, aversion, and delusion themselves are not helpful. And that our, our tendency to um, want to have certain things, want to get rid of certain things, is largely motivated by those, those habits and patterns of mind. And then again, with mindfulness, as we see that, as we see the greed, aversion, and delusion themselves as being qualities of mind that are not helpful, that feel uh, not, they do not feel like well-being. Then our mind begins to be more curious about the letting go of those. And so the, the wisdom is basically one of the wisdom ways to understand wisdom, this next parami after renunciation, is understanding what helps us move towards freedom, what helps us move towards more well-being, ease, peace in our lives, and what actually takes us, like loops us back into it. And so we, we start to, to recognize that, we start to see that difference and understand it through our own experience. One thing about renunciation, a teaching that um, 
I heard a long time ago from uh, one of my colleagues, um, Mark Coleman. He said that, you know, we think about renunciation as being something that's really hard to do. It's unpleasant. You know, I want these things. You know, why should I not have these things? And what, what he, he pointed out was like, what we're actually doing most of the time when we're fo- when we're following through on our desires, our greed and our aversion around what we want and don't want, what we're actually renouncing in that moment is freedom. And that was very impactful for me to hear that, you know, that um, we're renouncing something in every moment. Do we prefer to renounce greed, aversion and delusion and that action of, of, you know, moving towards things that we want? Or are we renouncing freedom? So, uh, so the wisdom moves us more towards the, net, the, the wisdom supports us to let go of greed, aversion, and delusion and to move in the direction of freedom. And so then that, that uh, understanding begins to cultivate or inspire, encourage the movement towards engaging. Engaging with more mindfulness and practice to cultivate the wholesome, let go of the unwholesome. And this is the next parami of energy the energy directed to cultivating the wholesome, letting go of the unwholesome. And so again, this, this, um, this is motivated by wisdom. It's, it's inspired by seeing that the wholesome and the unwholesome, what the wholesome and the unwholesome are, and that there is a way to engage, to let go of the unwholesome and cultivate the wholesome. So that inspires the movement towards engagement, movement towards energy, which then supports the cultivation of, deepens the understanding of wisdom. So again, that feedback loop between those two. And with the cultivation of engagement in the practice, you know, as we explore being with our experience, I think this energy, this engagement is really about being mindful. It's about bringing our attention to our experience and noticing what's here. And that we start to see just how deeply entrenched these habits and patterns of greed, aversion, and delusion are, and how much patience it takes to continue. So that's the next parami in the list. The, the patience that's needed to keep engaging and so again, you know, the, the energy that's directed to the practice helps us to see that patience is needed. And then the patience that is cultivated supports us to keep going. So that's how energy and patience kind of feed back on each other. Then the patience helps us to really see what's here. You know, the kind of the continuity, this is really, we could start to say, where the gentle persistence of our practice, the continuity of our um, our mindfulness, it, it starts to um, really help us to be able to see what's happening moment to moment. We start to see what's actually going on, what's true in this moment. What's actually happening? Not what we, not what we believe about it, but that there is a belief arising. 
these these experiences are happening and this is what's being believed this is how the mind and body are in this moment that that real honesty that i was pointing to in the guided meditation the honesty of like just what's here and that honesty um you know our system as i said in the guided meditation our system really likes that honesty it resonates with that and this points to the next uh, parami that is truthfulness. I think this parami is beyond truthfulness and speech and is more a pointing to an opening to and an honoring of what is true in the moment, what is actually happening in the moment. Seeing through our delusions, through seeing through our views and opinions about needing to get things, needing to get rid of things, understanding that that's a delusion that's embedded in greed and aversion. A delusion embedded in greed is that I have to have this in order to be happy. The greed itself is the wanting to have it, but the motivation for that is the delusion that having it is going to make me happy. And not just happy for a moment, but kind of the belief in greed is that it's going to make me happy for, for a long time. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing when you really look into the beliefs there that are connected with greed of how it even thinks like having something like a piece of chocolate is really going to do it for us. It's just going to make us so happy. So the, the seeing through those delusions, that's what I understand to be connected with this truthfulness, this parami of truthfulness. And as we see more and more the kind of what is actually happening, our um, kind of determination or our resolve to really see, because we see, as we see the the delusions and how shot through our uh, minds, our experience, the delusions are, how deeply embedded in our experience delusion is. I mean, seeing that truth, it's, it's, it's humbling, but it, it kind of, um, it's good news actually to see it because when we're not seeing, we're just, we're just acting out of those delusions. And so the seeing of the kind of the pervasive net of delusion as we can start to actually recognize that and we start to see it when when we see delusion fall away sometimes and then we see things very clearly without delusion and then we see it come back and then we can recognize oh this mind is relating to experience through delusion at first we can't really know that because we don't know the delusion is there but as we pay attention through this like what is happening moment to moment, being very honest with ourselves moment to moment. We see at times moments when the delusion falls away and we see clearly. And then when it comes back, we can then see the delusion clearly. And that seeing of the delusion clearly generates a really strong resolve to uproot that delusion to uh, see through it, to allow it to, through the practice, release. And so that's the, the next parami, resolve, truthfulness and resolve. 
So over and over again, we come back to deepen our understanding of truthfulness, deepen our understanding of what is actually true in this moment. And then the last two, uh, loving kindness and equanimity. Um, You know, as we see just how much our minds are motivated by (laughs) confusion and delusion, we, we understand that um, this is not just about us. This is the whole planet. This is every, everybody. And so we, we, our, it, our heart begins to soften as we see how hard it is for us and how hard it is for us to engage and to, you know, just how deep, just how deep those delusions are. Our heart understands and um Kind of the the emotional side of the heart cracks open to have a sense of compassion and care, connectedness. We we see that what we're doing, what's happening for us, is not just about us. It begins to be understood as impersonal processes, and that and that uh, for the heart generates this sense of kindness and care and love so that the next parami, loving kindness and equanimity, the last of the paramis, the, the mind that is balanced with all of the ups and downs, with all of the comings and goings, with all of the pain and the confusion internally and externally. And so the, you know, I think of love and equanimity. Those are two of the Brahma Viharas. I think many of you are familiar with that list. Um, love, uh, the love, the, the, the loving kindness, the metta, um, in a way also touches the other uh, three, three of the Brahma Viharas, because when that open heart is connected, is a, um, when the open heart is present with what's happening, and it meets suffering. It sees a being in distress. The movement of that open heart is compassion. And the um, uh, when that open heart sees or meets someone who is experiencing joy, delight, well-being, the heart resonates. It kind of sings in resonance with that, with the quality of mudita, of sympathetic joy. And the quality of equanimity supports the heart to be able to hold both the deep heartbreak and the amazing joy of being alive. That that quality of equanimity is a container in which we don't either fight against the heartbreak and the pain and the suffering not that we don't do something. Compassion actually wants us to act. Compassion moves us to act skillfully to alleviate suffering. But we're not uh, drowning in the heartbreak and we're not carried away by the, by the joy, by the, by the delight. We're not, we're not you know, denying either side. And that's um, the container of equanimity. So the um, kind of a general way, there's a couple, couple, three different kind of 
basic tools I think of for um, working with the paramis in general. First thing I'd say is, um, you know, if you cultivate one parami, if you just pick one, the kind of the way I've described how they relate to each other, if you pick one, you'll actually be drawing in qualities of all of the others as you explore it. So um, you don't necessarily need to try to cultivate all of them simultaneously. And what I've done is just picked one that for me feels resonant at a particular time. Spend some time with one of the paramis. And so you might just reflect back on this list and see, is there one that really kind of lands for you? For me, patience was one of those. You know, it's like I could see that patience was, uh, impatience was a big thing for me. And so, you know, in seeing how the opposite quality was happening a lot for me, I kind of got curious about, well, what might it mean to cultivate the quality of patience? So uh, you might just explore or think about which of these qualities really resonates for you and then like almost do an inventory. Be curious about where it happens for you, where that quality naturally arises and where its opposite quality is is happening. So my own exploration around around patience and impatience did begin with this kind of a thing. It's just like, I, I want to see, you know, I know impatience is a big thing for me, so I'm curious. Where is it happening? And uh, I knew about the big kind of impatience um, experiences in my life, the things, you know, when there were big things coming, uh, I was really like anxious to get through it. I just wanted to be on the other side of it. It, it felt aversive. To some people, a, a, a impatience feels like greed, like, oh, I can't wait for that thing. For me, impatience felt like aversion. It's like, I just got to get on the other side of this. This transition is so uncomfortable. Um, and so I, I began recognizing that, you know, that quality of impatience. And as I explored it, as I began being curious about it, I saw that it happened in little tiny ways so much through my day. Like just like when I was brushing my teeth, I was impatient. When I was, you know, preparing a meal, I was impatient to get to the eating of it. So it's like, you know, there's just like, it was everywhere. That's both humbling and good news in a way that you can see it, you know, that you can start to see it. So this kind of exploration is using mindfulness, kind of curiosity about what, about the quality and it's opposite. And for me, at first, it was largely about the opposite. You know, it was largely about um, seeing when it wasn't there. And that's, that's actually one good tool with mindfulness. So with mindfulness, notice when, when the quality is there and when it's not there. Not judging yourself for it because it's just conditioned. What's happening is just a conditioned unfolding. And so it's, it's information, really, that we're getting. So, um, so for th that's the first tool, really, is to, uh, to pick a parami and then use mindfulness to explore its presence, its absence. And then you might begin to notice, like, the conditions, for, uh, conditions when it naturally happens. You might, again, we, we do tend to orient towards the, um, the, the problem. So my mind definitely oriented towards the impatience. But where might we see, you know, where is the quality more naturally available? And I began to see, like, for instance, that I got really impatient when I was driving. 
But often I got impatient when I was driving because I didn't quite give myself enough time. You know, I gave myself just enough time to get there. And then if there was any problem, you know, a light that lasted too long or, you know, somebody that walked slowly through a crosswalk or anything like that, the impatience would come up. And so I began to see that, well, maybe there's a condition here. Maybe I could give myself, you know, a slightly longer time to get there and see what happens. And then I I began to feel there's a lot. Yeah, I'm sitting at a stoplight and wow, yeah, I'm not in a hurry. I've got plenty of time. And what's it like to sit here and feel just the okayness of sitting here at the stoplight without that impatience and the quality of patience there? So again, the kind of, you know, finding creative ways in daily life to explore the quality. And what I found is my own mindful exploration began to educate me and to kind of bring in ways to cultivate the quality with creativity. So being creative about about the cultivation of these qualities. The second way, and, and it's kind of been embedded in this first way, it's still about, um, about um, being mindful. So, you know, we can, we can notice the presence of the quality, cultivate the quality actively, notice when it's there, notice how it feels when it's there. And then the other side of that is noticing when it's not there. Notice the opposite quality. What gets in the way of patience? And that's kind of pointing to what I discovered around what got in the way of patience when I was going somewhere was that I didn't give myself enough time. So that was a condition that I could change. There are other times where conditions may not be able to be changed externally, but maybe there are some internal conditions that could change. Some some views and attitudes and beliefs. What are the beliefs around the opposite quality arising. So those are those are two key uh, explorations. Um, uh, noticing the quality, kind of picking a parami, and um, um, working with that parami for a time, noticing its presence, noticing its absence. And what can you learn from that? In my own exploration of that, that learning process generated other kind of creative explorations around, around the quality. Another one I found at one point was just how when I was impatient, my body got kind of um, quick in movement and very, it's like it would, it would act in ways, it would, it would move in jerky ways, it would move quickly. And I saw that like while I was shopping, if I got impatient while I was shopping, that the way I picked things up off the shelf and put them in my basket was kind of um, obvious. If somebody was looking at me, they might know that I was impatient, you know, just, just through the way that I was engaging with the, the objects around me. And so what I began to be curious about is, well, can I know that impatience is there, but act as though I were patient, kind of seeing if I could smooth out my movements and that kind of acting patient, not repressing the impatience. And for me, this is an important piece. So not repressing the impatience, but um, acting as though I were patient while feeling the impatience. 
that actual um, practice I found within only, it was only a few moments, actually, it was maybe a minute of doing that, that I felt the mind kind of just release that agitated, impatient quality. And it was much more able to just continue without that agitated, impatient quality. So it released it released the impatience by acting as though I were patient. So it's kind of a modeling of the quality. Behaving externally in ways, but without repressing the internal feeling. It's kind of like the, the, the activity of engaging in that way can feed back on um, or rebound on the mind to... Uh, cultivate that quality internally. So in this case, patience. And as I was acting with patience, knowing internally that there was impatience, as I acted with patience, the impatience released, and then there was a kind of, the the action rebounded on the mind to create more patience. Again, this was all just like creatively, you know, coming up in my practice through the curiosity of being mindful. And so if you explore a particular quality, you might find that you're the wisdom of the engagement. And I, that, I would say that in this practice, you know, that's what was happening here is that I was curious about patience and impatience. The wisdom was growing about what impatience was, and the wisdom was growing about ways that the mind might be able to explore it more skillfully. Then the energy grew, the uh, patience grew, you know, the 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 truthfulness grew. So all of it kind of uh, supported each other. So there's one more um, one more tool that I use, but I'll save it for next time. Um, and that is uh, a reflective practice, a way to kind of reflect on a quality um, to support the quality. So I'll, I'll talk about that next time.